Hey fam, in 2019, I traveled to Rwanda, Africa to see a ministry called Africa New Life up close and personal. Africa New Life exists to break Rwanda's poverty cycle through education. Now, during my trip, I met a very special family and their daughter named Sandrine Ishamwe. Sandrine's family had faced struggles, but their grit and their spirit and their hope taught me so much about resilience in the face of hardship. For three years now, I've been Sandrine's educational sponsor, giving a little each month to make sure she can attend school consistently and access basic medical care. Now, I want to invite you to join me on this journey, this incredible, transformative, redemptive journey. For just $39 a month, you too can give the gift of education. All you got to do is visit africanewlife.org forward slash Tony and see the students awaiting sponsorship. Thanks. Hey fam, welcome to the Still Coloring Podcast with Tony Collier. I am your host, Tony Collier, and each series we lean into the stories of women and men that uncover their brokenness and practically show us all how they've rebuilt their lives with hope and grit. Come on, come on, let's lean in. It's Tony. Welcome back to the Still Coloring Podcast. I'm so excited about this episode with Dr. Kurt Thompson. Um, Kurt is a psychiatrist, but he's also a brilliant speaker and author of Soul of Desire and Soul of Shame, one of my favorite books ever. And in this episode, first of all, we cry a whole bunch. And I feel like I say that about almost every episode, okay? But seriously, it's a real tearjerker. And one of my favorite parts of the show is where we dive into how Jesus comes looking for us in our shame. Take that in. Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you don't actually believe that in the most broken parts of your story where all you want to do is hide from the world. It is in those places where Jesus wants to come and lean in really, really, really close to you. So in this episode, you'll learn how to embrace that truth, but you'll also get some real practical advice and maybe some new motivation on how doing something hard like working out actually teaches our brain how to repair ruptures in our lives and ultimately teaches us how to have the grit that we need to find hope. And remember, if at any point during this episode, you're like, dang, that was amazing. I know someone who needs to hear this. Share it with them. Send them the link and give them access to some hope and some grit. All right, let's dive in. Well, Kurt Thompson, okay, I'm, I'm trying not to scream. I'm I'm honestly trying not to scream. I thought that I had gotten all my energy out, but I just obviously did not. Kurt, I'm so excited right now. And I'm so grateful that you were on. I am. Let me, okay, let me get all the housekeeping out of the way. So, Kurt, you are wrapping up our very first season of the podcast, the Still Coloring Podcast. Can't even believe I'm saying that. Um, and I, yeah. I think when I was praying, one of the reasons why I wanted to wrap it up with you is because we've been holding all these tender stories. We've got Ann Voskamp's story and Jamie Ivey and Jackie Hill Perry and my husband, Sam Collier, and April Daniels, who tragically lost her husband. And and I said, man, I, I really would love to get someone here that knows how to hold the tension 
of really hard, tender stories and drawing close to God in that, but mm. also mm. being okay mm. with seeking professional healing and help. And I said, well, a whole mm. psychiatrist definitely could do that. <laughs> but even more than that, Kurt, you're not just a psychiatrist. Um, mm. One of the things that, that I love that it says in your bio right at the end is that you understand that deep, authentic relationships are essential to experiencing a healthier, more purposeful life. But here's the but, here's the but. But the only way to realize this is to begin to tell our stories more truly. And that's mm. what we just walked through for all these episodes. Mm. Kurt, mm -hmm. how are you doing today? Well, okay. I I can't believe my good fortune. I can't believe my good fortune. I like, I... I, I, I've told my wife this. I yeah. like I'm like, yeah, the best part of my Monday is gonna be twelve to noon that we're recording. <laughs> You're and so excited. I'm just um well, I mean, uh we we have uh mm. a journey together and I've um uh, I know that the, the other folks that have been on uh, the, the this season thus far have really indeed have told really tender stories and yeah. uh I, I'm just so honored to be in the room with someone who is working as hard as you are mm. to, I think, do the very thing that you mentioned to, to tell your story more truly. Yeah. And because I, I think that, um, you know, it's the last thing that evil wants us to discover, the, oh. discover the, the, the both uh, our longing to and the beauty of telling our story more truly yeah. in a, in the context of a community, because so many, um, amazingly wonderful things come from that oh. so i'm just i'm just, i'm just so grateful to be here just so, so grateful to be glad here. about it yeah. All right, we, yeah. we we dove right in now i read your bio people know who you are uh but i do just want to highlight one of the things that you said it's we've been journeying together i've been in this beautiful small group community journeying for the past year telling our stories more truly showing up for each other in the room and kurt you've been such a profound part of that a leader in that you have led us to a more vulnerable authentic life and it's been so beautiful and i just have to say right off the gate then we'll get into it i promise that your contribution to my life has been an incredible influence and one of the reasons why i created the still coloring podcast and so mm. i just want to say that and mm. then we'll dive right in oh, okay 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 can i just say something about, say about, it, the, title, say it. about the title about, about still about still coloring yeah um you know the, the whole the whole sense yeah that you know evil really did believe we we do get the sense that evil really believed mm. uh that good friday uh that or, or, or at the time we wouldn't have called it good when it was happening but that like good friday was going to put an end to all the coloring yeah mm. and uh evil just evil didn't see easter coming yeah and Easter is this like cataclysmic moment in which we see that God is still going to color. Yeah. And so I love the title of this, yeah. of, of your work and of the, and of the podcast, this sense that God like never runs out of crayons. Come on. Come on. So, anyway. I love that. Thank you for saying that, Kurt. Uh, well, listen, we're going to dive right into this thing. One of the things that I, I love, again, so much about what you do, Kurt, is that you marry this beautiful relationship, this relationship, honestly, that I feel is divinely connected of drawing close to God when we're in valleys, but also pursuing a life of healing and wholeness mm. and mm. 
it's it's a beautiful thing. But the other part of that is you don't just do it. You actually live by it. And I think that oftentimes when you hold a professional title, um, it's hard sometimes to be vulnerable and to hold the space of I've got to be a leader and I've got to make sure people feel safe and trusting in my work. But also, who am I to lead someone through a healing process if I myself have not been through it? So I just right. would love to dive right onto the deep end, <laughs> Kurt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just would love to invite mm-hmm. you to talk about maybe a moment in your life that felt like a valley moment. Life has had a been a series of valleys for me, I think. And and not just because there have been valleys. Like I lost my dad when I was 17. Mm. I've lost, I, I've had three older brothers that have all died from cancer. Um, and, uh, and, and there are others, but I, I, I it, so it's not just things that happened to us or things that have, have happened to me. I think I also kind of temperamentally came into the world um, in such a way that it, as I tell people now, like I'm just, I'm, um, I, I used to think that uh, there were certain things about my life that I would be anxious. So I could be anxious about the practice. I could be anxious about my marriage. I could be about these things. Yeah. And as I've, as I've discovered recently, I would say, actually, no, I, I swim in a river of anxiety. <laughs> and so in some respects, like I, you know, life is one long valley with like just parts of it that are deeper than others. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, you know, one of them um, has been, uh, you know, I, I, I know just a few years ago, I, uh, in losing the third of my three brothers uh, mm. to cancer, this was back in 2018. Um, you know, you, it's funny how you discover there are certain things that you are actually allowed to talk about once certain people are dead. Wow. Uh, and, 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 not, and not before then. Yeah. Uh, all about family systems, these these kinds of things happen. And it wasn't just because of his death, but because with his death, I was the only living I was the only remaining person in my family of origin. Mm. And uh, I I started to discover that, wow, I have certain things about my life that I have kept buried, Mm. certain things you're not allowed to talk about, certain things you're not allowed to say out loud because you're afraid that you're going to be in trouble with certain people in your family. And so I think one of the, and I I discovered uh, that I had been for, at that point in time, you know, more than five decades, uh, collecting uh uh rage wow like like anger yeah about certain things that i experienced over the course of a lifetime but i grew up in a family where you're never allowed to say those kinds of things Mm. and like i'm like i'm a practicing psychiatrist like we're training people to to name what you feel and all the things and there were certain things that i could feel but i had to come to terms and this is now not that long ago and it continues even to this day of having to uh, become comfortable with the notion that yeah, uh, I can name my own anger. Yeah. D- d- discovering that, gosh, I burned a lot of energy containing that anger, and that yeah. energy makes that that the energy that I'm con- using to contain that means that that's energy not available to create mm-hmm. in the way that God wants me to create. Yep. And I would say that the key element that has enabled me to walk through that and even to discover it. Has been, you know, I, I think these these three uh, these three things in particular. One, I've had a spiritual director that I meet with once a month uh, for more than twenty years. I've got these two other guys that I meet with every Tuesday morning for prayer and confession, and then we've got this covenant group, this group of four couples that have been together for almost thirty years, wow. 
uh, about, you know, our, like there's nothing, there's very little about our lives that we don't know. And, and I, as I say, like, if I don't have those spaces yep. to tell the, tell my story more truly, like I'm a dead man. Mm. And, um, so I think that that, 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 that valley of like discovering that, oh, there's all this anger that you have, but now what I'm going to get, despite the fact that I'm like allegedly supposed to know all these things <laughs> right. about what you're supposed to do with anger. Right. And now, like, I'm the shrink who doesn't, like, who hasn't dealt completely with his anger. With anger, yes. This is so And so good. that's been, yeah. This is so good, Kurt, because I just, th- there's such a sense of humanity coming from you. And I, and I love it. I mean, you stand on stages mm-hmm. in front of thousands. You've written incredible books and resources. And yet you, you know, are so willing to step into and onto this podcast and this space mm-hmm. to say, I didn't get it right either. And I just, mm. I almost just like sense there's someone listening right now that's just like dropping their shoulders a little bit like, okay, wow, I'm not alone. Mm. And mm. and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, but I'm just going to go a little deeper here real quick. Yeah. I, I also grew up in a household where you just stuff things, you know, you just stuff mm-hmm. it right under the rug. It's probably mm-hmm. not even in the room. It's probably in somebody else's room in the closet type thing <laughs> where, where it really can't access nobody. Um, and, and I've got to say the one thing that rooted from that for me was shame, which you talk mm-hmm. about a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Is it safe mm-hmm. to say that that environment maybe drew out some shame in you to the point where you felt like I've got to withhold this rage? Would you say that? Right. I, absolutely. I, I would say that, you know, I grew up in a house where uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't said explicitly. Yeah. Uh, but implicitly, we got the message that you just want to make sure that you don't, you know, you don't want to make God angry. Mm. Wow. Uh, because because if you did, what was waiting for you was not just God's anger. What was waiting was your own shame. Like that's what's going to get evoked. There's, there's, that he's going to be angry about something about me mm. uh, that, that's wrong. There's something about me that I didn't do right enough. I'm not getting this right. I'm not getting that right. And so the, the whole notion of being afraid of anger isn't just about anger. It's the sense that if I am angry about something, I shouldn't be angry about it in the first place. Mm. And if I am angry, then there's something wrong with me for being angry. And so I'm not just protecting myself from anger. I'm having to protect myself from the shame that's underneath all that. Hey, fam, it's Tony. Listen, I wanted to take a moment to share a very special connection that God created in my life several years ago. In 2019, I traveled to Rwanda, Africa to see a ministry called Africa New Life up close and personal. Africa New Life exists to break Rwanda's poverty cycle by equipping its young people with education. Now, you know, I love a good story where people are empowered to overcome their obstacles and their brokenness. Now, my trip that summer was a bit overwhelming, but honestly, it was in the best way. I met a very special family and their daughter named Sandrine Ishamwe. They face struggles the same as you and me, but their grit and their hope taught me so much about resilience in the face of hardship. For three years now, I've been Sandrine's educational sponsor, giving a little each month to make sure she can attend school consistently and access basic medical needs and other care. My connection with Sandrine and to Rwanda has grown over the years as I've watched Sandrine grow too. Now today, you 
can transform a student's life in Rwanda through educational sponsorship. Listen, for just $39 a month, you can give the gift of education, the gift of a future, the gift of hope to a young person who has just been waiting for someone to lean in. If you're ready to make that difference, if you're ready to lean in, Go to africanewlife.org forward slash Tony and see the students who are waiting for sponsorship. Listen to me. It will change their life, but it'll change yours too. Thank you. And, you know, I, I, I in, in, in one of the books that I wrote, that, that, that it's the, the book on, on shame, this, this whole notion that, uh, you know, we've been practicing trying to manage our shame, not just as a human race from the yeah. very beginning, but even as individually developing humans, this thing shows up as early as 15 to 18 months of age for us in our yeah. families long before we have language. And so we're having to practice knowing like, like which closet to put my shame in. <laughs> right. So that, you know, it's because I, I'm ashamed, but then I, I don't want you to know that I'm ashamed because I'd be ashamed of being ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, until somebody is able to actually uh, come into my house and say, no, Kerr, I, I really want to go look in this particular closet. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't want to. Yeah, I don't know. You, you don't No, No, I really do, because I actually already uh, know. But I like I'm already aware of like I'm because like if someone who's actually willing to come and be with us in our mm. shame, that's the piece that I'm both terrified of. And it is the transforming thing, which is what, of course, you know, the Romans had all kinds of ways to kill people. Mm-hmm. And they, they could have they could have made it nice and easy, as it's often said about St. Paul. It's, you know, I mean, the story is told, the legend holds that he was probably beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Yeah. So the Romans are going to make it quick and easy, but not Jesus. Mm. And so this sense that, like, with crucifixion, it doesn't just kill somebody, but its intention is not just to humiliate the victim, but the entire culture in which it's taking place. And so the thing is like, Jesus is already, he's already in our closets of our shame, waiting for us to join him because he wants to say, I'm not afraid of what's already here. And I want you to be with me while we both take a look at this and realize I'm not going to run out of the room with my hair on fire because your shame is here. In fact, uh, that we can be in this together is the very thing that's going to transform this, this and take the shame that you have, Come on. and it becomes the very source of the next beautiful thing we're going to create together, which, right. of course, I don't get, and I'm not going to get until I let you in the room. And so, like, yeah. So. Yeah. Listen, we're going to go down this shame. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go down this shame road right now because I've read your book, Soul of Shame, and... Oh, my goodness. There's so many little lines and pages that are folded in there. Here's a quote I want to talk about really quickly. We look for where shame is hiding out. We actually pursue it is what you said, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. to perpetuate it, but to Mm -hmm. heal it so that you can do the beautiful and good work God has for you to do. Here's Mm -hmm. here's what I just want to make sure someone listening understands in Kirk's in Kurt's story, we're, we're talking about anger in my story that you may or may not have heard before. We're talking about anxiety, uh, perfectionism, all these different things. I don't know what it is that you are carrying into this moment, listening to this podcast, but somewhere along the, the way, I just feel like the enemy just attacks us with shame. It is, I feel like it's his, one of his strongest attacks 
If he mm-hmm. can get you to hide, he can stop you mm-hmm. from healing. Mm-hmm. Kurt, talk to us about what happens when we are willing to embrace shame and be brave mm-hmm. enough to deal with mm-hmm. it. How mm-hmm. does that change our stories? Yeah, well, I, th- I think the first thing is to just acknowledge uh, that it is not our natural impulse to do this, to embrace shame, to look for it, to yeah. examine, to go and find it. It's it's not our natural inclination to do it because if you know the the kind of natural physical response to when we feel it is, uh, I want to turn away from you. I want to mm-hmm. turn away from myself. I don't turn toward a person. I turn away from myself and from others when I feel this. And this is what we watched in the Garden of Eden when the man and the woman first cover themselves and they hide in the woods and they keep doing this and we keep doing this. And so the first thing is to acknowledge that it is really hard to do. Mm. It's hard for us to allow ourselves to be seen in our shame. So that's the first thing. I just want to acknowledge that when our listeners hear this and say like, oh my gosh, this feels hard. We say, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's tough. Evil is counting on it being difficult. Yeah. And it also, I think, though, is a comment on how precious our souls are. Like our precious, our souls are this vital mm. that God is going to push through even these things that are this hard, these things that are literally embedded in our very neural networks, our very brain cell networks that are yeah. operating in our bodies. Shame operates itself. And so, you know, there's some interesting research that differentiates between shame and guilt. And I'll just say this right now, because uh, we feel shame at an early age. The thing that we call guilt doesn't show up probably until we're about somewhere between four to six years of age. Wow. Because it requires, for the thing that we call guilt requires my having some sense that not just that I am bad, but I've done something bad. I had this thing that I've done and I've hurt another relationship. And for me to be aware that there's something that I've done that is separate from me and that I've hurt another person actually requires my frontal part of my brain to develop enough that Mm -hmm. I can actually have that awareness. A 15 to 24-month-old isn't going to have that awareness. But Mm -hmm. here's the other thing that's really different. If you and I have a close relationship, we're good friends, and I do something that hurts you, and and I like it's brought to my attention either because I become aware of it or you say, Kurt, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings. The guilt that I feel, what I will tend to want to do is I will immediately want to move toward you mm. and say, could you please, I, 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 I don't want to lose the connection. Could you please forgive me? I, I, I want to make this right. Yeah. Shame. No, no. I, it will have me turning away. That's good. It will have me turning away. So I come to you and I ask for forgiveness and you say, I, I forgive you. And let's continue to work together as friends. And two days later, I'm thinking about what I did and I feel bad again. And we say, well, yeah. I still feel guilty. No, that's shame. Ooh. That is this thing that's still working. And so like, it's this ancient thing that is still around, which is why mm. we need people to come find us. When I'm guilty, I can turn toward you. When I'm ashamed, I need somebody to come find me. That's good. So we say, this is why we need confessional communities in order to have other people who will come and find us. And in the course of practicing this over time, wow. of people coming to find me and saying, could you please tell us what's going on? And if I say, okay, this is, a, this is hard for you to do, but I'm ashamed about X, Y, and Z. If I were to say like, Tony, I know that you forgave me, but I'm still feeling this shame. And you say, well, like Kurt, uh, that shame 
that feeling may be around for a while and I just need you to know I'm not leaving the room. Mm. Like we're in this together for the long haul. And that is a thing that I have to practice. And the more we practice this, the more I'm likely to then begin to start to come to you when I'm ashamed. Come on. And this completely undoes evil's plan. Yeah. Evil is counting on my shame, not letting me come to you, not, and, and then holding this like, well, I know that she said she forgave me, but I'm sure that she still thinks I'm an idiot. I'm sure she, I'm sure she That's has good. a part of her that like, she's telling me that she's like going to be my friend still, but I know mm. that there's that part of her that doesn't, that's like going to hold back is not going to be my friend. Wow. Shame wants me to have that narrative. And so for you to come to find me, for me to come to find you, for us to come to find each other is really what God is doing in Genesis chapter three, when he comes to walk in the garden and says, where yeah. are you? And it's what Jesus does with Peter in John 21, where Jesus asks Peter after the resurrection on the beach, do yeah. you love me? He's not just asking a question. He's pursuing the part of Peter that still harbors the leftover shame. Yeah. And so when it when the text reads, and Peter was grieved in his heart that Jesus asked him yet a third time, it's not just like, well, like how many more times does he have to ask me? It's a matter of like, Peter's finally saying, okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Like there is the part of me that if I were to be true, like I, I must not love you because if I did fully, then I wouldn't have thrown you under the bus then six weeks ago. Done it. Come on. So Jesus is coming. Actually, he's pursuing Peter in order to turn that, like to reveal that shame in order to be, can be healed. Because what Jesus is saying is like, I don't just want you to not be ashamed. I want you not to be ashamed because I have work for you to do. I want you to feed my lambs, That's feed good. my sheep. Stop paying attention to your shame. Pay more attention to me and to the work of beauty that I have for you to do in the world. This is so good. All right, listen, I'm going to put a pin in this episode right now because there's some of you that are driving. Okay, you may be driving, listening to this right now, and you cannot take the notes that we are all viciously taking right now. Okay, but the first thing that I want to draw a point to is that guilt says I've done something bad. Shame says I am bad. There is a very big difference there. And it, shame is an identity attacker. I just, again, I believe the enemy is so equipped and armed with shame to keep us from telling our most truest stories and ultimately healing. The other thing I want to point out is I, I just I want to make sure that the listener really, really understands how you are unpacking this information. You are combining these incredible truths, biblical truths about how God has designed us, how Jesus pursues us, and how it is not good for us to be alone because we need to be pursued, especially when it comes to shame around our stories. But at the same time, you are, I, I'm probably not gonna say this right because I'm not in the psychiatrist field, but you are neurologically, unpacking this thing okay is that right can i say that is that the proper tense okay sure yeah okay right fine on. Right but, on. and and the reason why i want to draw that distinction is because we created this space because we knew that there would be people listening that would doubt that what they're carrying mentally and emotionally can fit in the palms of jesus and that is a lie the, and and Kurt, you you have been. I want to. I just want to cry. I want to cry right now because you have been and are being to our listeners the glue that says no, no, no. Mm. Jesus will meet you there, mm. Mm. and He's showing up, and He's Come not on, leaving sister. you. And that's just really, really, really good news. It's yeah. Whew. Okay. Yeah. What's yeah. what question we got, Lord Kurt? <laughs> 
Um, okay. Here, I, but I want to dive. I want to dive into that because I know that my few sentences can't change maybe years of you know religious trauma, spiritual manipulation, whatever it is that you're carrying about God and about who Jesus is. And so, let's dive into that, Kurt. Like. Let's talk about how people can really believe, start to believe and practice that Jesus is in this, these spaces with us, mm-hmm. these broken mm-hmm. spaces. Help us, mm-hmm. lead us, mm-hmm. Kurt. Well, you know, one of the things I tell people is that uh, for good or for ill, um, uh, the brains that we have, mm. the bodies that we have are like the brains and bodies that God has to deal with. Mm. And they're the same brains and bodies that everybody else has to deal with. Yeah. And so one of the things that is, I think, both uh, uh, important but beautiful uh, and, and, and that makes this whole thing accessible mm. is gets, goes right back to Genesis where we read that when God made us in his likeness, yeah. uh, that's not just like some abstract statement of fact. It is, uh, it is a statement that is the it, it is the hard deck yeah. of the vitality that we that we feed off of and that we the fountain that we drink from mm. uh, that enables us to be human because if i'm so to be like i'm looking at you right now as we're recording in that lovely pink top <laughs> and the, that you're in you're just like stunningly beautiful like stunningly and i'm like oh oh my gosh like it's a vision you're a vision okay and i'm thinking like you I, like God wants us to know that you right now today, mm. like you are the face of Jesus to me. Mm. And and we need to take this deeply seriously. And we we when Jesus says, like, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Yeah. Because servants slaves, like servants don't know the business of the master's house. Yeah. Right. But I'm gonna I'm calling you friends. That's good. And then we get to Saint Paul and right, like Saint Paul says, like, no, you are the body. Of Jesus. Like this was a complete, we hear this and it's all very common to us yeah. because we've been, but right. this would have been, this would have been literally mind blowing new territory. When mm. Paul writes this, that you are the body of God. Oh, wow. Like God's not this separate thing up on Mount Olympus, Zeus and Apollo and all the others. Yeah. God is dwelling with us in Jesus, and now you are becoming his hands and feet, quite okay. literally. And we're like, oh, that's just metaphor. Like, no, the Holy Spirit is working, using us to deliver God's presence and God's message. And so the shame that I, in order for me to have some sense that, uh, especially in the face of my uh trauma that I've experienced in the church yeah. that I've experienced in relationships with people who are believers, uh, all, all the worst places that we yeah. can imagine that these things happen. Yeah. Um, the, and, and so what, what, what it, what it conjures in me is, is, is like, I, okay, I want to be healed. I just don't want to have people to have anything to do with that process. Right. Uh, you know, maybe some professional therapist that I don't have to see once a week, but I, they don't have to like be in my kitchen. Oh, say that. Or like, or in my bedroom, or in, or, or you know, or in the pew with me, or, or whatever. Um, but the hard part is that uh, God has chosen His people yeah. to be the very presence and 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 uh, way in which uh, our healing is going to be facilitated. Now, wow. th- this is really hard because when I speak to someone, 
the very act of wanting you to come and find me in my shame, at the same time that I want to be found, I'm also terrified of being found because I have all this memory of what it was like because my trauma usually takes place in the context of relationships that I at one point trusted. Mm. Um, and so it's hard for me to like, it, it's like, you know, one of the metaphors I use is like, if you had a near drowning event as a kid, yeah. like you're not going to go within a country mile of the pool. Yeah. But now all your friends are saying, hey, we want you to come and join us. And uh, we have pool parties. And this is how we live. This is how this we get together. We, we get, get together in the pool. Right. Yeah. Pool. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm not going. And so I, I need you to help me gradually over That's time good. be able to regulate literally my body that yeah. enables me to uh, shift my experience of and my and my experience of shame. Mm. And that doesn't just give me a different emotional experience. It also changes the very neural networks in my brain, giving me literally what Paul says when he says, like, I'm, I, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed, but be yeah. transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's really good. Again, it's not just metaphor. It's brand new neural circuitry that's being created in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Okay, l let's lean into that. Ner neuro circuitry. Okay, I, I said it right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm a little country. Yeah. Okay, but I am with you. All right. Now there may be a few people who's not with you. So let's get practical for a second. Okay. My counselor says this: building new neuro pathways. This imagining our brains kind of like this, you know, over in this bed of water, kind of like with all these little bridges, and this bridge is over here, and this has made this connection. Kurt, can you talk to us about some? some practical ways to help rewire that. So I know we've got one, we've got people that are reminding us that are gripping us out of shame cycles. Well, what else can people do to help reshape the way that they've been thinking about their healing? Well, you know, interestingly enough, there are some ways that we can go about doing this that, that support that process mm -hmm. that don't uh, actually require us to be with people. Now, if you do these things with people mm -hmm. to begin with, it's always helpful. But for instance, like, aerobic exercise. You think like, well, what's this got to do with it? Aerobic exercise does two things. One, it highly oxygenates the brain more effectively and the brain like loves oxygen. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that it does is that especially when we are engaged in exercise where we have to employ a certain degree of rigor, mm -hmm. right? It's hard. Like I got, now I don't have to be you know, I don't have to, it doesn't have to, I don't have to be a decathlete. I don't have to be an Ironman competition. But if I'm going to do anything with rigor, it's going to cost me a little bit. One of the mm. things that it does is that it teaches my mind, brain, body matrix that I can do hard things. Mm. And it stretches, it, it, it puts a proper amount of stress on the brain that the brain needs for growth. All growth requires a certain degree of stress. The long bone in your femur, if it doesn't have the stress of walking every day, it starts to weaken in its bone density. It depends wow. upon the pounding in the same way that my brain depends upon a certain necessary level of stress in order wow. for it to grow. So rigorous aerobic exercise, that's one. Meditation practices, mm -hmm. I, I, I like to shout out, there's a, a little book called Into the Silent Land mm. by Thomas Laird. Yep. And this, this book, like you can read it in an afternoon, you can use it for the rest of your life. The hardest part about the book is doing what it asks you to do. <laughs> right. But when we are mindfully practicing meditation on the on, on God, this actually exercises my brain 
it allows me also to learn that I can do hard things that are not hard because they're complicated. Like they're, you know, they're, I'm, 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 I'm not trying to learn like physics. I'm just trying to do something that's difficult over and over and over again, Yeah. which in our, which in our, in our current cultural moment is difficult because we are being so primed mm-hmm. through social media and so forth. We are being yeah, primed are. to become increasingly distractible. And so, Paying attention to one thing for a long period of time is harder to do, but practicing this puts us in a position in which we can do that. There are a number of other things. We talked about that on, on I think, on, on my website, a couple of things that I've written. There are a number of things that we can do that uh, put us in a position to make our brains more malleable, more flexible, more adaptive, more open to these changes in creating these new neuron connections Come on. that really become the first thing we have to do in order to really uh, make the move out of our trauma, out of our shame, into a story that we're going to tell that is more true to who God imagines us to be, but that necessarily I have to practice, I have to continually practice telling that story in the presence and with the assistance of other people. Well, that, there you go. Listen, I knew working out was doing something more for me, okay, than making sure that everything stays tight and right. You know what I'm saying, okay? I knew it, all right? And honestly, it makes me want to go yeah. to the gym even more, okay? Because yeah. I'm like, yeah. I can buy a new pair of jeans, okay? But I <laughs> but I want to rewrite my story. That is what, that's where my little brain goes. I'm like, you know what? If there was a better reason for me to go to the gym, I think I'd actually enjoy going. And I think this is it, Kurt. I'm like, I can buy some more clothes, okay? But but what I can't buy is a healthy mind, is being able to have healthy relationships, being a healthy parent, being able to yeah. actually, I mean, what I heard you say, and, and we say this about this podcast is, you know, we're, we're trying to have a hope-filled space, but also a space right. that builds grit. And it sounds right. like what you're saying right. is when you begin to put your physical body in situations where you start to believe you can do hard things, you essentially build grit. That right, you do. That lets right. you create the next hard step and the next hard step and the next hard step that's needed to get through these really difficult healing journeys. Woo! Right. One, one last thing I'll say. Come on, uh, say it. Spe- spe- speaking of grit is uh, we also uh, um, – uh, live in a in a time in which uh, we, again this is not often said explicitly but implicitly mm-hmm. uh, we live in a time in which we are increasingly expect that we expect life to be convenient and oh. comfortable. Uh oh. And um, we don't we, we we and so I you know I, I you probably heard me say this before that I uh, my Amazon packages now show up the day before I order them. They're, 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 they're mm-hmm. coming that, you know, efficiently. Oh yeah. And, 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 and this is a problem. Yeah. Because it means that I'm being trained not to have to, I, I don't, I, I shouldn't have to delay gratification. I shouldn't have to work through hard things. Mm. I, if, if I, if I have a problem with you, I'll just like defriend you. I'll just, or uh, I guess it's unfriend. That's to show you what I do and don't know about both. Facebook, whatever defriend, it is. Like, I'm, I'm just like, so I don't, I don't get much practice repairing ruptures. That's good. Woo. And this becomes, and this becomes another part of what, of what the develop, like, so you, you get, I love that, that phrase, like developing grit. You both develop grit and you develop greater freedom and capacity, greater skill, greater, ex- greater uh, effectiveness in life. When we make it a commitment to, in the relationships that we have, 
repair ruptures. And of course, this will necessarily be the case. If you and I start to share each other's stories with one another, uh, what's going to happen is we're going to become increasingly more comfortable to the point where we're going to be uh, more easily able to just let whoever we are into the room. And at some point, there's going to be something that I'm going to do and I'm going to hurt your feelings because I'm not, I'm not working to be as careful because I don't think I have to be as careful. And when that happens, then you're going to say, Kurt, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings. And now uh, we say like, oh, okay, if, if I just pay attention to how bad I feel, because I, I don't want to hurt your feelings I, because I love our relationship. If that's all I pay attention to, then I can get stuck with that. But if we do, if we are committed to repairing the rupture, what we find, and, and there's, there's plenty of research that looks at like what actually happens to neurons. If you cut a neuron and that neuron grows back together where it was cut, over time, that space becomes actually more resilient physiologically than it was before the neuron was cut in the first place. And this is not unlike what happens with bone fractures. This happens with other things as well. And relationships become more gritty together. They become more committed. They become more resilient as a unit than they were even before the rupture took place. And so that's another thing where grit and freedom that we read about in the scriptures, this freedom in Jesus uh, is even strengthened even more so um, as part of this uh, growth uh, out of shame and into these lives of beauty and goodness. Ooh. I just feel smarter, <laughs> honestly. I, I, I just, I don't know about you, but I, I feel smarter because of this episode right now. And I know we have to go. I have a few things that I want to do before we go. Um, so I've read Soul of Shame. I am making my way through Soul of Desire, your new book. Mm. Um, mm. And there's I, here's what I love so much about the progression of your books is we're, we're, we're tackling shame. We're understanding what's kind of holding us back from living beautiful stories from from still coloring. Right. Mm-hmm. But then Soul of Desire is it's very different in nature because now we're moving into this. You don't have to just claw your way out of a valley, but it's how do you walk in the mountains? How do you walk into new desire for your life? And, mm-hmm. and so really quickly, Kurt, I just want you to tell us about just that book, the meaning of that book, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I know that there's someone listening that's saying, whoo, I just got through processing through that divorce. Woo. I'm finally at a place where mm-hmm. anxiety isn't crippling me, but I just think mm-hmm. there's more mm-hmm. now there's desire right. fulfillment. Right. Talk to us just a little bit about that. Right. Well, I think the book in many respects uh, grew out of uh, the awareness that um, uh, the healing of shame, God's intention is not just somehow to bring us back to baseline. Uh, that what, what, what shame, what evil does with shame as much as anything is he wants to use shame, not just to make us feel bad, not just to separate us from ourselves and from, from God, and from each other. Uh, but evil wants to use shame as a way to keep us from being the agents of creating beauty in the world that we, I mean, this was God's mission. God's mission is not just to uh, create people so that they can, you know, live mediocre lives. No, we, we were made to co-create beauty and goodness with him in the world. And we've kind of lost sight of that. And most of my life, most of the energy of my life is spent now, like managing my stuff managing my shame and my fear and like I'm just a shame manager it's really kind of what I am I'm a middle manager of what of shame that's what I do and God wants more than that for us and so 
this book is really designed to ask the question, well, wait a minute, if, if, we, if we really are going to address uh, shame and our brokenness properly in a context of a, of a, of a, of a, of a vulnerable community, we discover that pretty quickly, we, like God, starts to ask us what Jesus asked John's disciples in John chapter one, what do you want? What do you want? And like, no, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. What's the right answer to that question? If, if I could know the right answer, then I know that I won't like, it, like, I won't, I won't make God mad, like by having the wrong answer, which is where shame really wants to do the work. And Jesus is taking the disciples very seriously when he's asking, what do you really want? Because as soon as we start to pay attention to that, we'd like, oh my gosh, God made us out of his heart of longing and desire. Like we are, we are like, like that's how we got here. Like we're objects of a desire. And then he said, like, oh, and we're going to make people to live like we live, which means that we are we are also people of desire. We long for things, too. We long for things in the same way that God longs for things. Evil wants to sully all that. Evil wants to ruin all that. But with Jesus, with Good Friday, resurrection, ascension, with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we have a God who's stirring up his artistry once again and saying, I want you to name what you want because I put it in your heart. That desire leads to being curious about what we're going to create next together in this world, recognizing that to do that effectively, it's going to require our willingness to do it in, in a vulnerable community in order for us to not let evil come back around and try to reappropriate our shame, reappropriate our brokenness, in order for us then to, in that community, expand our imaginations to how if I can't be ashamed and if guilt and my brokenness don't get to have the talking sticks in my life's conversations, what is the next new artifact of beauty that I want to create? What is that? What's the next new relationship I want to form? What's the next new business I want to start? What's the next new act of creativity that I want to enter into? What's the next new risk that I want to take with God as a way of becoming an outpost of beauty and goodness in the world? And in the final chapter, all right, we talk about this notion that what we are doing is we are practicing for heaven. We're practicing for the kingdom that is here and that is coming in its fullness because as other uh, N.T. Wright and others would say, there's no act of beauty or goodness, like no act, no moment, no moment of patience yeah. that you live out with Dylan today mm. that is not in and of itself going to become echoed in the new heaven and earth, yeah, in which God's going to come back and say, you know, Tony, you remember that one moment where Dylan <laughs> was driving you nuts and instead you became me to her Ooh. in one of those really hard moments? Don't I, I just want you to know that like that moment is showing up right here and now in the new heaven and earth yeah. in this way. Amen. Kurt. Yeah. You're going to make me cry about my daughter, so, Dylan. So practicing for heaven. That's We're yeah. practicing for heaven. All right. Two things I want you to do as we close. I would love for you to speak to um, the listener that is just holding on. I, um, yeah, I, I love what you said earlier. It's not just one valley. It's these valleys that we're going through. And so whether it be a valley from the past, a valley that we're in right now, um, there's someone listening who's like, I am just holding on and I just need you to speak to my heart. And then if you can pray us out and then we'll be done. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say, uh, um, 
you know, uh, just because somebody speaks words to us, the words themselves in and of themselves, uh, aren't going to mean much if we don't have some way of like literally in our bodies having a sense of this. And, you know, um, uh, I, I'm not suggesting that this is that this is perfect, but I, I think that there are, are, are ways in which I, I, I would want our listener who's just holding on to have access to some kind of experience that lets them sense that Jesus, that Jesus is already in the room with you, that he is and has been and will be coming for you. And so um, I, I and, and, but but I would I would want you to say like it it's it's risky to ask for help. It's because like if we ask for help, uh, it's easy to ask for help in the privacy of my own prayer life in my room where I, where nobody can hear me. Because like then like like it doesn't it doesn't because you know. But for me to go out on the street and say hey could you could you please Anybody, could you somebody? please help like yeah. that that's that's because uh, and I just want you to know that Jesus knows how hard it is to ask for help. Um, but asking for asking for what you want is important, and so um, uh, I, I don't. I, I want to encourage you to to turn to the Jesus that you can imagine in your mind. And here's another thing: like I, am not trying to promote this, but like the, you know, the online TV series, The Chosen. It, it is a way for people to begin to get a sense of who this Jesus is like. And I want to say, you watch one or two episodes of this, and I want to say, imagine yourself sitting in the room with that Jesus. Imagine that Jesus sitting in the room with you, and imagine if you were going to tell him what what you what, like you're like you're just hanging on. I want you to imagine what it would be like for that Jesus to speak to you. Mm-hmm. I want you to imagine if you were in the room with Tony Collier. I'm I'm dead serious. Yeah. See, because if I'm if I'm just hanging on. I want Tony Collier in the room with me. Mm. I want you in the room with me because I know that you're not going to leave. Yeah. And I know that you're going to have a voice that is going to be compassionate and it's also going to be gritty. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to let me off the hook. Mm. And uh, we, uh, we may, uh, may be difficult for us to think about who are the people that, uh, I can. I, I. I want you to call one person. It may be a pastor, and the pastor might feel risky because that may be where your last trouble was. Yeah. It may be a friend. It may be a. It may, but um, and if nothing else, I want you to uh, go back and listen to every single episode of this pod of this <laughs> podcast series. And I and I'm and I'm dead serious because I I know some of the people that you're talking about, and these are people who know what it's like to go to hell and back. Yeah. These are people who know what it's like for Jesus to come to find them. Mm-hmm. These are these are people who, some of these people are people who I know who've been in the room with you and have known what it's like for you to come to find them yeah. and for them to come to find you. And I've watched this happen. Mm. And this is how Jesus finds us. He finds us by come by sending his people. And uh, I want that person to know that his people are 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 here. Oh, they are. Yeah. Mm. Can you pray for us, Kurt? Hmm. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, God, we, uh, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, time with my friend, mm-hmm. Tony. I'm grateful for the way that my life has been transformed by uh, hearing her story and over the time that we've known each other, hearing her story and uh, bearing witness to her courage and her tears and her joy. And, uh, 
I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you have put on her heart to do to create space for the people who are listening, our friends who are listening to this, uh, to hear your voice in Tony's voice, to hear in her voice, maybe in my voice, to hear that you are coming for them. In fact, you are already in the room with them. And I ask that you would open their hearts to be receptive to your delight to your, uh, even to your intensity. Yes, God. To your longing for them. In the same way that you've put deep longing within them for you. Yeah. And so take that which uh, they've been hearing in this episode and the ones that have preceded it, and we want you to seal all that is good about this within them, and we want you to plant it, water it, enable it to germinate enable it to come to life and to bear fruit in their lives. And we say all this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Mm. Amen. Amen. Kurt, I think you made me cry like four times in this episode. <laughs> um, well, you. well, you made me cry at least three times, so <laughs> okay. thank you very much. <laughs> it's so good. It's so real and raw. Kurt, thank you so much for being here. Um, we are just... Uh, pleasure, and what a yeah. joy. We're really grateful. And thank you for listening. Hey, I just want to thank you so much for listening to the Still Coloring Podcast with Tony Collier. I am so absolutely grateful to hold the stories of brokenness that we get to share with you and the honor that it is to point you to both resources and ultimately to our source, Jesus Christ. If you can't get enough of the show, we'd love for you to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts and spread the word. If you've got someone in your life who you think would benefit from this show, don't keep it from them. And if Instagram is your thing, I want you to meet me there at Tony J. Collier. I'm a little wild, so buckle up. We'll see you next time as we all lean into the stories that help us claim hope and grit over our own lives. See you soon. The Still Coloring Podcast is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. The music is by Sam Collier of A Greater Story. Artwork is done by Natalie Maxey of Nueva Creative. The show notes are by Allie Young of Wild Young 3. And I am your host, Tony Collier. And I want to remind you that you can heal and find hope and grit right in the middle of it.